Denne episode af Rockelfondens podcast giver indsigt i et initiativ om systeminnovation. Initiativet er startet op af Rockelfondens interventionsenhed. Interventionsenheden er en selvstændig enhed under fonden, som udvikler og afprøver mulige løsninger på velfærdssamfundets udfordringer. Dette er den tredje podcast fra Interventionsenheden. Denne podcast er på engelsk. Welcome to the Rockwell Foundation podcast. This is the first in a series of two podcasts about system innovation. This year, the Rockwell Foundation has initiated a project to work more efficiently and methodically with system innovation. The ambitious initiative is curated and managed by the Foundation's Intervention Unit to identify, develop and share concrete methods, stepping stones and tools for working broadly with innovation of entire systems from every position in the system. The project, which runs through 2021, kicks off with a conference this year. At the conference, experts on system innovation, local government executives and other relevant stakeholders are invited to participate debate and share experiences on how to solve constantly recurring challenges in our welfare society. This first podcast in a series of two introduces the field of system innovation, describes the Rockwell Foundation initiative and the activities that will support it through 2020 and beyond. Welcome to the Rockwell Foundation podcast. I'd like to start off with a brief round of introductions. Jenny, would you like to go first, please? Mm. So my name is Jenny Winhall. I am the Director of Social Innovation at the Rockwall Foundation. And I have a background in working to uh, drive more systemic impacts from some of the social interventions that we have developed over the last few years. I'm Charlie Ledbeter. I'm an advisor to the Rockwell Foundation, working with them on the Systems Innovation Initiative. And I've been involved in working with social entrepreneurs, really tiny, small, but also governments and policy, working both sides of that equation um, in many different places, mainly in the UK. And I suppose worked with a lot of people, great ideas, but outside systems, find it very difficult to get them adopted. A lot of people inside systems, very frustrated, can't change them and so I'm interested in how you kind of create a way for those people to come together and make change together. Yeah and uh, I'm Helene B. Lillør and I'm the chief of the interventions unit at uh, the Rockwell Foundation and um, I'm trying to steer uh, social innovation, social interventions and the evidence around the whole thing uh, Uh, through so that we can actually try to see if we make an impact, we can make a change and and whether it's something that can go to scale. Right. Welcome to you all. Now to kick things off, um, why do you think that now is the right time to look at the way that we're tackling recurrent challenges in our society? We are with our Danish welfare society and maybe societal challenges in general um, facing a strain on the welfare costs. We have demographic changes and we're seeing that there are many of the societal problems that seem not to be solved. So there are 
things where we've tried many times to solve different issues, and I'm sure we'll come back to some of them, um, but where we see that the current, the, the, the traditional ways of doing them through reforms or policy changes, um, traditional types of interventions actually doesn't give the impact that we're looking for. Could you give us a few examples of uh, challenges that are perceived as sort of permanent or chronic today? Well, I think there are a lot of um, challenges that the welfare state deals with, for instance, which just keep coming back and the system seems to just service them. They go round and round and they don't really resolve them. And so in here in Denmark, uh, Jenny can talk about this in much greater depth, the, the problem of uh, young people leaving, a minority of young people leaving school never finding employment hasn't changed over 20 years. But we were very inspired by a woman called Karen McCluskey, who was a police officer in Glasgow, who was dealing with this very entrenched problem of knife crime in Glasgow. And what Karen did was, instead of just arresting people, sending them to court, nothing really changes. She decided to re-see the problem as a kind of almost like a disease, almost like an epidemic, and to see it as a problem of culture and that the police had to help change the culture of the city. And to do that, they had to work in completely new and different ways. And so that sort of reframing of that very entrenched problem as something you could solve, you didn't just have to process, but to solve it, you had to see it in a completely different way. That, I think, is the kind of change we're we're talking about, how you can engage all of society in solving those problems, not just the public sector. Now, going into the thoughts behind system innovation, which we're going to talk a lot about here, it seems that recurrent and permanent problems has always been a fixture in societies at all time, and that we come to accept some of these as unsolvable. What's made you? What made you think that there are solutions for these seemingly permanent uh, and challenges to our systems? I think actually, uh, the, for instance, in the in the Danish society, the the problem that Charlie just mentioned that we have around seven percent of any youth cohort that doesn't make it into uh, education or employment in the long run. That's a very costly thing for for society, and it has been there for twenty years. So the two decades where we haven't solved it. I believe we're in a situation now where we think more of the same won't do it. So that's why trying something very different uh, is high time. Whether systems innovation can do it or not, we will we will see. But at least I think it's worth giving it a try to go a new route than the route that has happened so far. Charlie, was Glasgow an example actually of an unsolvable problem that was indeed solved? How did that in the, that I, I think it I think it was, and I think that what what you see what you saw in Glasgow was this um, huge problem. Uh, everyone recognized it as a problem. Um, but the police thought their job was to arrest individuals, go through due process, take them to court. I think for the police, it was a deeply frustrating experience. Their job seemed pretty useless going round and round like that, just seeing the same kind of kids coming through, the same tragedies, the same families. And what Karen did was find a way to show them that they could make a real impact. But to do that, they had to almost turn 180 degrees and see the problem in 
a completely different way. And so she said, look, this is more like an epidemic. It's more like something that needs a public health intervention. And we need to get in with the families. We need to get in with education. We need to work on health. We need to give them jobs. We need to find a whole way to solve this problem, to divert the young people away from it. But that means as police... We need to work with all sorts of people who we wouldn't normally work with and to see our role in a completely different way to orchestrate that much wider kind of change. And I think one of the things that I'm struck by the whole time is how many people there are in public systems who are really good people, really want to do a good job and feel deeply frustrated by the systems that they're in, that they feel thwarted. And a lot of the public sector as a result with the kind of problems that Helena has been talking about, you have no sense of success because the same problem just keeps circling round. So part of what we want to do, I think, is to reinvest public work with that sense that you can make a difference and you, you can actually solve problems. You, can't, you don't just have to contain them. And what about Glasgow? What kind of results came from this new way of thinking? Well, the 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 results were that there was this very steep drop in in knife crimes and and people um, affected by knife crime, both as victims but also as perpetrators, and a change in the culture, and a change in the way of working for the police and. Out of that, Karen's developed this whole approach to community justice, which has been very influential. And for for us, I think it's a very important example of how someone can sort of be inside a system but see it from the outside and can make a step so that she can engage other people in trying to solve a social challenge. And it's that kind of leadership which creates the possibility of more people being involved in trying to solve the problem than just the service, just the public sector, which is really important. Now, the term we're talking about here is system innovation. But why do we need to talk about system? What does it mean and what constitutes system innovation? I mean, one one way of thinking about it is that we're surrounded by systems and our lives depend on them, whether they're systems that we rely on for water or electricity or money. But if you if you just think about transport and cars, the car is a product But it's useless without roads, and roads need to be built by governments, and they need regulation, and then you need insurance, and you need maps. And in other words, a car is virtually useless without a system of which it's a part. And really what we have is not just cars, we have this whole automobile system. So what you're seeing at the moment with the rise of you know, the automatic, um, autonomous, electric car and lots of debates then about mobility in cities is trying not to just dislodge a product but trying to change a whole system. And we need to move to new systems of mobility and transport, which are much greener, cleaner, shared, so on and so forth. That, I think, is one way of thinking about it. So systems generally much more powerful than standalone products. The car is useless without the system. But as a result of that power, they're very difficult to budge because they're all locked together. So it's very difficult to unpick them, very difficult to really dislodge them. Jenny? So one of the things that we think about is that there are there are a couple of things that give rise to the need for more systemic innovation. So the first we've talked about these persistent recurring challenges. Um, but there are also other new pressures that we face as a society for which our systems were never designed in the first place. 
So we now have an ageing population. We never had that before. So those, those things require us to think differently about the way our systems are structured, how they're funded, who participates in them. Because what we want to do is to uh, meet the new purpose <laughs> that those challenges are laying out before us, but also find ways of opening up the kinds of resources that we can bring to bear on those challenges. So when we think about system innovation, we're really thinking about not just a solution, an intervention, a service, a uh, uh, an offer in the the sort of traditional sense, but we're also thinking about how do those interventions catalyse broader system change around them so that they have a better chance of being part of forming systems that are more sustainable um, over the long term. And so one thing that we we often see in our work is social innovators and public leaders and entrepreneurs reaching a kind of limit to the impact they can have with the solutions that they're developing. And that is because they're, in effect, coming up against um, a set of very powerful forces that are sort of working against what they're trying to achieve. And so when you're in that position, you really have to think um, about how you're designing that intervention so that you're actually acting to redirect some of those forces. So whether that is where power sits in the system and how you can change that, whether it's how the resources are flowing um, and how you can rechannel those to, towards your purpose. So I think that's what, we, when we think about system innovation, it's just that one level broader. So the intervention, but also how is it shifting uh, the system around it. Now, Helena, you're the head of the intervention section at the Rockwell Foundation. You started this initiative. Why is the Rockwell Foundation starting to look into this? What's the reason for that? Uh, so it really has grown out of um, some of the research that the research unit in the foundation has done, uh, uh, especially it, I was struck when I saw the results about the 20 years of no change among young people that are not uh, thriving, basically, in society. They are not succeeding in getting into um, education and employment. And especially when you look at it, both from the employment sector and the education sector, there's been so many reforms and so many policy changes. So then talking to Jenny and what she's saying, well, sometimes uh, systems were not built to tackle the challenge that they are now facing. And that's where it really dawned on me, well, okay, the, both the education system and the employment system were built uh, for other, you know, for more general purpose reasons. And we're succeeding super well in both systems with getting the majority of people through education, the majority of people into employment. But there is a minority that's not succeeding and the system was not built for that minority. Um, but we can also not, as uh, I've, as a society, just let that minority keep passing 7% every single year passing on. So what can we do? It's not that we want to change the entire employment system or the entire education system. There's lots of great things in those systems. But there's something about the way that those systems are reaching out or maybe not reaching out to these minorities that are actually becoming societal problems for us. I don't think as a welfare state as Denmark that we can... Um, Except that we have uh, such a large minority, after all, with uh, 7%. I mean, it's 
you go in, into any classroom in the public school and you'll pick two children in every single classroom where you can pinpoint, okay, those two, they won't make it. Um, and I don't think that's something that we should aim for. I think we can do better. What to do is then the next question. And this is where I think uh, some of the work that Jenny and, and Charlie uh, are doing and looking back into, there's a lot of theory about systems innovation and how systems change and there's historical accounts of it. But who can actually be active? How can you proactively think, okay, now we have this problem of what you in English often call disconnected young people, the ones that are not connected into education or employment, how to deal with it from a systemic point of view. So it gives you some guidelines. And, and being an economist, I kind of like tables and figures and thinking of, okay, tell me where to, where to go and what to, what to look for, which keys, as Jenny uh, is sometimes talking about, which keys to try to turn so that I can be systematic in my approach to dealing with a systemic issue. So what kind of outlines, topics or challenges do you want to address in this coming year of system innovation at the Rockwell Foundation? Um, what we're doing with this initiative on systems innovation is actually uh, to try to develop the more practical tools. And Jenny and Charlie can explain much more about that than, than I can. But it's really to try to say, okay, it's great. There's lots of theory about systems innovation, but we need to make this work in practice. How do you do that? And that's actually the cutting edge where they are. That's the frontier uh, of systems innovation at the moment, that it's not that easy. Go out and interview any CEO in a municipality. They don't necessarily know how to go about it. They know they have an aging population. They know they have uh, lots of people uh, knocking on their doors asking for services. Uh, and they actually don't really have the funds to provide the services that they would like to provide to them. So, so they have this bulk of people that they need to address and they don't know how to go about it. So they can't just do more of the same. They need to do something in a different way. But how do you go about inventing the different way? How do you go about even start thinking about it? And that's where we want to try to to get over the next year. Really start thinking about what are the tools? What are the right questions to ask? Because that's not that easy to figure out which questions to ask because once you started asking the right questions you may force yourself to think of other types of answers than the ones you're you're coming up with today and i, th I think in many ways the problem that we're addressing is a kind of sense of powerlessness so um i've worked with you know cabinet ministers and the prime minister in the uk and it's extraordinary you get to the top of these huge government departments and people feel powerless like how can I change things and I've written white papers and you know, new policies and people think why is it that these are not being implemented so that sort of you would think that that power gives you the ability to influence systems and it turns out they're often much more difficult to change I've worked with social entrepreneurs starting out as one person who've got amazing ideas and transformational potential and they throw themselves against these systems and they get a certain way and then they run out of steam or they're confined to a particular area and they kind of feel powerless. And I've worked with managers inside public systems, CEOs of municipalities and and they feel like I've got this huge great machine to run, you know, and people depend on it and I haven't got enough resources and my staff are dissatisfied and I'm asking them to do too much and they kind of feel powerless. So when you come to some of these big shared challenges like aging or mental health or young people and work or what have you, a lot of these people feel like 
how can I possibly reshape this entire system? You know, I can just about manage my bit. So what we want to do is create a way for really for people to feel a sense of power that they can take charge, that they can have an impact. But the lesson is that you can only really do it if you work with other people in a kind of coalition. You can't do it if you're just in your box, if you just rely on your bit of the solution and you just look after yourself. You've got to find ways bringing people together to address these collective problems and not just to sit there talking about them, but to actually take action. Yeah. And I think concretely in the intervention unit, what what was our ambition is that we don't have an ambition of changing uh, a full system, you know, overnight. Uh, and also full systems should not necessarily be changed, but there are some transformations that need to happen. But through the interventions that we're developing, we have started having a much a stronger focus on how could these interventions be stepping stones towards showing decision makers in the system and people around the system that things can be done in a different way. So we have an intervention in the employment system for um, unemployed young people called NextWork. And there we think very carefully about how could we, with this type of intervention, create an example or an um, a, a way where you can show things could function in a different way. And then as those interventions develop and we always also create the evidence around them, do they work at that local level? So we make impact evaluations. If it turns out that they work, then there may be more, in Danish you say, um people may listen a little bit more when you then start saying, look, you know, you could actually take this uh, way of running an employment service and spread it out to the system in a broader way, especially if decision makers, CEOs, top managers in municipalities then know, okay, but it's an intervention that actually works. You all make a very compelling case for system innovation, but uh, why hasn't it been done before? Well, I think part of the answer is that these are big shared collective problems often and the solutions have to be shared and collective as well. But actually people running bits of government departments are just interested in their target, their budget. You know, it's very siloed, it's very discipline focused and you need often to bring people together to share resources or share the analysis of the problem. So you need to find new ways of people collaborating. And what we're really interested in is finding people who've started making those steps into working in that different way. So Karen McCluskey in Glasgow, um, as a sort of intuitive systems innovator, she knew that just doing what she did already more efficiently was going to be ineffective. So she knew that frustration meant she had to look for a different approach. She drew on her background as a nurse to think of it in an epidemiological way, as an epidemic, and that gave her a different perspective. And then she thought, okay, if that's what we need to think of it as, more like preventing a disease than trying a crime... Who else do I need to get involved? How do I get them involved in in that process of of prevention? So I think there are there are people who are around the world and here in Denmark who are taking these steps. But personally, my view is we're in a decade of really 
incredible transitions, ageing, artificial intelligence, climate change, um, urbanisation, migration. These are huge things which are sort of challenging the systems that we rely upon to keep society cohesive and stable. So we need people who are better equipped to take on this kind of change. Because even if you just look at the demographics and the, the budgets, you know, in the UK in 2030, 2040, 50% plus of the budget will go on ageing. Mm. I mean, you know, just on demographics. So you've got to A, rethink how you cope with ageing and B, rethink some of the other things that you're doing. Otherwise, the system as we've got it just is not going to really survive and certainly not going to deliver people the kind of service and outcomes that they expect. And so the public sector will be under increasing pressure. Um, and I, I think also just briefly that there's some it's not that it's not done it is being done but it's being done in pockets and I think what like another example is the Burtzog case from Holland where they've created a completely new way of doing elderly care in homes so Yemeplei that's actually now being copied even to Ikastbrande in Denmark and, and other municipalities are very interested in that so it is being done in pockets here and there um, but I think the framework for what they are doing, some of them, like Karen McCloskey in Glasgow, they're doing it intuitively. And I think it's the framework around it that's important to to be quite systematic about how you approach it if you want to do it proactively. Yeah, so mm -hmm. I think we're interested in people in Danish municipalities, in government departments, communities who might say, okay, I, I get this, I've got this big headache, it keeps coming back, I want to do something about it, and I accept that actually these service solutions don't work, so what do I do? And so they want some practical help in where do I start, who do I work with, how do I get things going, what kind of resources do I need? That's what we want to try and help create a framework for. I guess I think that one of the important things that we're hoping to do through this is to help people to see each other um, because when you're doing this kind of work, you can feel very alone and people often don't really believe that there's anyone else out there who's battling with the same kinds of challenges that might be in a different field in the same kinds of way ways. And one thing that we've discovered really helps is actually to recognise that over many decades and centuries, people have changed systems. You know, the systems that we have now are relatively recent creations they were created by people in response to something they felt wasn't working in society and and so that often gives people a sense of okay I'm actually part of a longer lineage of of change and it is possible for my very small action to add up to something much more powerful so that's one thing that I think um, is important for people to think about when they think about starting to to act in this way and the other thing I think is that um the social innovation field has become much more sophisticated over the last 10 years. We have social impact investing. Um, you know, we have courses on social enterprise. You know, we have businesses who are starting to think about what their, their bigger purpose is in relation to the rest of society. And all of these people are um, both feeling frustrated that they're not seeing the kind of systemic impact they're looking for, but also looking for other ways to contribute to to that. So we've been very struck um, in our work, for example, that quite often when we are addressing a particular challenge, um, whether that's young people that are looking for work or whether it's um, 
how we how we do um, how we work with older people in a very different way. We can see all sorts of people who want to contribute to that: families, businesses, local communities. But our systems aren't actually designed to allow that contribution to happen. And what happens when we build these interventions <coughs> is that they almost act like the the kind of transitional object that reveals um, where all of that demand and where, where all of that interest in contributing is. So I think that becomes a kind of um, movement in itself that unlocks a kind of energy that we can then harness to address these systems in a, a different way. Now, the three of you have all been working with innovation for quite a long time now. In your opinion or in your experience, what is the limit to system innovation and what are the obstacles for us going into this whole field? Well, I, th I think um, there are a couple that stand out. I mean, I, I'm partly involved in this because I'm sort of fed up of doing things which are kind of interesting but irrelevant in the end because they're kind of inspiring, small, interesting, so on and so forth, but they don't change bigger systems. And um, that's because there is, I suppose, insufficient attention not just to the innovation bit but to the scaling, absorption, how you change bigger systems and how those two things, two sides of that equation interact. And so I, I think change is extremely difficult within systems. But if you're outside systems, you can't change unless you get the people on the inside to want the change to come to them. And so building that coalition, if you like, between the insiders and the outsiders. And that's why I think people like Rockwell are so important and other people they they sort of convene that middle space where people from inside systems can come and say we've got a big problem and we don't know what to do about it and people from outside say we think we've got an interesting solution but frankly we're tiny and you know it's sort of almost finding a space where those can combine um, and I suppose in it, you know in another sense the whole sort of innovation language is can be its own worst enemy that um, actually what this is about is about solving problems and solving problems with a purpose. And innovation is just a means to that. And I think too often innovation can be taken as a sort of excuse to sort of have a bit of a holiday and kind of play games and have great ideas. And, you know, it is about having ideas, but it's fundamentally also about making things work and building business models and, you know, that kind of thing and being able to invest in things. So I think that... Um, I personally think that this decade of this in enormous changes of ageing and uh, climate and all the rest of it, the demand for different kinds of systems is going to grow. And, and that's what we need to be able to respond to. I think actually also to adding to that, Charlie, I so innovation is about having great ideas, but it's actually about making these ideas work in practice and changing the existing practice and not just in one municipality or through one NGO that works in a, in a corner of Copenhagen. Or, but it's really to make it go to scale. And that's where I thought uh, systems innovation has something to, to add to it because it's the scaling part of the social innovation. You can have lots of pockets of social innovation here and there that are actually changing things in the daily life of a subset of people. But to make those things go to scale, to to have an employment service that functions in 98 municipalities, that's a huge challenge. So how do you support that? And how do you actually build it in such a way that it can 
shift the systems uh, throughout if it's a very different approach than what you have um, than what you're doing today. Now you talk a lot about identifying stepping stones and working with stepping stones. Can you tell me about what that term covers and and how how is it relevant into this whole project? Mm-hmm. So I was thinking actually about your last question. Thomas about what makes this so hard and what does make it very hard is that any kind of system has a sort of immune response when you you sort of put something um, new into it it sort of you know rejects it and and I think that's a big struggle when you're making this kind of work happen so one of the things that we think a lot about is um, what What is the what's the story from which we're acting when we change these systems? So what are what do we believe the purpose of this system should be, and what's the kind of underlying set of beliefs or assumptions that are underneath that? So if you listen to Charlie's story about Karen McCluskey in Glasgow, what she's really doing is saying, okay, we have had an underlying belief that violence is simply a crime to be punished. If we change that underlying belief and see it as a disease that can be prevented, then that leads us to some very different strategies. So it makes logical sense then that we try and contain the disease and we try and stop it spreading and we you know develop a, a culture that prevents that that disease from from growing so that's one of the key things that we do at the beginning of um, building interventions that we believe can have some system changing effect is to make sure that everybody that we're working with starts to see the problem differently and then starts to act from a different set of beliefs And what Karen, what Karen did in Glasgow was really, having started with that kind of reframing, then put in place a series of stepping stones that could actually carry you forward. So, you know, I mean, just to give you some particular examples, they found that the households that the young men who committed the knife crime came from were households in which there was domestic abuse, and men were being violent to women. And they found that the men who were violent to women were also often violent to pets, their dogs. So they found that the vets who treated the dogs, who could tell them about domestic abuse, were a part of the intelligence system to learn which were the vulnerable households where that kind of behavior was going on. They found that um, the young men couldn't get work because no one would interview them because often they had really bad teeth. So if you if part of the solution is work, then you need to work with dentists who are going to get them better teeth so they can have job interviews. So what she did was find a very practical way of thinking, okay, I need to solve this problem and it's almost like a Rubik's Cube and there are all these different things, mm-hmm. but they need to fit together. And that's what she did. She fitted those stepping stones together. So we partly call them stepping stones because... Once you've stepped onto one of them, you can see something different from that position. So it's a little bit like getting an extra vantage point, if you like. And also because it's a little bit like putting a stone into a river. If you put the stone into the river, it changes the direction of the the flow. So it's by putting something in place that is different, we see how other parts of the system, you know, whether that's the organisations or the behaviours or the the patterns around that that challenge also start to shift. And that's what gives you your confidence that things are movable. Um, so those stepping stones do a couple of things. They they reveal 
demand for a different approach because quite often people come forward to say, oh, I could also help with this in this way. Um, but they also highlight the kinds of trickier um, infrastructure, regulatory, legal things that have to be fixed in order for more of that same type of activity to be possible. So it makes it a much more um, helpful way of entering a conversation with um, the regulators or policymakers or you know the people who are holding the the, the structures around um, those activities. If we can say we've built something, people want to work in this way and they want this to happen, how can we now make that possible um, with those supporting structures? And it's really actually, just to supplement that, it's really about making it concrete. This can become such an abstract, very high-level, uh, hot-air type of conversation, and it's really to make it concrete. We create a stepping stone in a given municipality and see what what happens when we put that stepping stone there. What is it that, that starts changing, as uh, Jenny says? So it, it is about making it super concrete with you know, actual people doing different things in a different way every Monday morning, you know, so at, at that level, it has to be that concrete. Jenny, you're the head of the initiative at the, the Brockwell Foundation. Could you tell more about this year's activities and, and what's going to happen? Mm. So this year, we're spending our time investigating the kinds of questions that we need to answer for people to really be able to act on this. So we're holding a conference um, where we'll be sharing some of the frameworks that we're talking about um, today, um, but also having discussions with a number of international practitioners who've really been there, really done it, so that everybody can hear you know, what's under the bonnet, how did they make that happen, what challenges did they face, how did, how did they know they were making progress um, along the way. So that's about sort of sharing the knowledge um, that we're, we're bringing together. But the other thing is that we're working with a group of um, international experts and practitioners and uh, Danish leaders from various positions in the landscape to uh, bridge what is known out there knowledge-wise about how systems change, why they change, what makes them change, and the kinds of um, concrete practical tools that people who are in a position of trying to act on system change actually need if they're going to take those those actions. So it's a kind of interplay between um, the knowledge, which sometimes is, you know, in all sorts of interesting fields like cybernetics and sociology and has never really been brought to bear onto the kinds of challenges that we're interested in tackling. So it's our job to sort of bridge that um, and also to be asking difficult questions um, around like how how do you know that a system needs to change? What gives you those indications? How do we measure it? Um, how do we invest in system change? Because those questions are not they're not um, nobody really knows that yet. <laughs> so we're mm. very interested in um, sort of finding out as we go along who might have something to contribute to those investigations and discussions and. Hopefully, we can be a sort of host um, for people to share their their knowledge as well as learning from what we're picking up. And what kind of participation are you looking for this year? Yeah, so when when systems change, that process involves lots of different people at all sorts of different levels, whether they're public leaders, whether they're um, 
you know, sort of people who are early adopters of new solutions. So you might call them sort of consumer leaders, if you like, um, whether they're entrepreneurs who are you know, just starting to try and make something happen, whether they're heads of industry who want to know how they can marshal their resources onto the, the challenge. And so um, we, what we want to do is to try and make sure that we're having conversations with each of those groups in each of those different positions and make sure that the tools we're developing work for them where they're because they're entering into this from very different positions so it's important that it resonates with with them so we want to know who they are and uh, who would like to for us to work with them to develop those tools so a quick uh, around the table here um, what are you looking most forward to uh, during this uh, forthcoming year Helena I'm really looking forward to seeing the tools that are, you know, in the drafting at the moment uh, becoming more concrete and actually seeing them uh, being picked up by municipal leaders and and other people uh, outside the Rockwell Foundation. I really <coughs> hope that they that they feel that they get something that's useful for them. And then I'm also looking forward to applying it even more in depth in our own development of interventions because we develop interventions in, in all sorts of fields. And and uh, it will force us to think much more structured about how do we go about education, how do we go about it, schooling, how do we go about uh, mental health issues and so forth. So that's what I'm... I'm looking forward to the toolbox that uh, these uh, two people are going to develop for us. And Jenny, what are you looking most forward to? So what I'm most looking forward to is learning from everybody who's doing this. So I've been an entrepreneur. I have been in a position of being inside a system and trying to change it. I'm now sitting in a foundation that has a different kind of overview. So I recognize those positions, but I'm very interested in um, how people think about them, how we can shape what we know from our experience into something that really makes sense for them because that's a, always a great learning opportunity. And you, Charlie? Well, you may have noticed that I'm from Britain, so I'm just looking um. forward to being in Denmark um, <laughs> for the next year or so. Um, no, what I'm... I, I do think that being in Denmark is interesting because I think a conversation is possible here about the future of these welfare systems and welfare society that is already very difficult in other places because, you know, the welfare state has been so run down and so on and so forth. So I think there is a real opportunity in Denmark. Um, and what I'm most looking forward to, I hope, is, you know, this time next year is the people we've been working with here saying, that was really useful. I've really helped by that. That's really helped me make progress with this problem and I can help develop this tool more in this kind of way. That would be a really, really... I've no doubt that what we are going to do is incredibly interesting and we'll add to the field and we'll have lots of interesting discussions but the really important thing is someone coming back and saying that was really helpful. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I want to thank Helene Lilleør, Jenny Winhall, and Charlie Letbeater for taking the time to tell us about the 2020 initiative on system innovation. Remember also to listen to the other podcasts in this series about system innovation. Here I talk to Jenny Winhall and Charlie Letbeater more in detail about the conference. Much more information about system innovation, this year's initiative and the conference can be found at the website of the Rockwell Foundation. At the website where you normally find your podcast, you can also listen to the other podcasts from the Rockwell Foundation. Here you can listen to podcasts outlining new research within the labor market, employment, as well as immigration and integration. 
My name is Thomas Smith Jørgensen. Thank you very much for listening.